I'm glad you're here. We're launching a brand new message series today. Uh, We're going to be studying through the book of Ephesians for the next five weeks, and I think we're going to have a really good time. Uh, We have titled this message series, All in the Family. And uh, if, if you... Uh, think a little bit about that phrase, all in the family, I think most of us can probably identify people in our families that we wish aren't all in the family. Anybody with me that, uh, I don't know about you, but I, you might have people in your family, you might even have whole tribes in your family who don't fit in. You might be the person in your family who doesn't fit in. Any, anybody there, you just don't... <laughs> Lots, lots of hands. When I was growing up, I was kind of a selfish little cuss, and uh, I didn't really like having a sister in my family. So I would try to marginalize her in every way I could, and one of my favorite ways to do that was to tell her that she was adopted, because, you know, then she really wasn't in my family, and she had dark olive skin, and I'm kind of pasty white, and she has this beautiful thick hair. So I just tell her, you know, you don't look like me. You're obviously adopted. And, you know, we just have this way, don't we, of drawing lines of who's in and who's out. And families are one of those things that it's easy for us to go there. In fact, my wife has a, has an, has a little uh, axiom that she says all the time. She says, every family is just one sibling away from Jerry Springer. And uh, you might be able to relate to that. In fact, it's kind of interesting. If you have paid attention to what's happening in the entertainment culture today, you have probably been aware of the TLC sitcom, or reality show actually, called Here Comes Honey Boo Boo. Do you have any takers, any watchers of Here Comes Honey Boo Boo? My wife says that Honey Boo Boo is kind of like a bad car accident that you just can't stop watching, okay? And, and I know that some of you probably haven't seen this show, so I just want you to see a short clip, all right? Here comes Honey Boo Boo. Here it is. This is my crazy family. I have three sisters. Pocket the craziest. Anna's the pregnant. And Jessica's my favorite, like my BFF. My name is Mike. My nickname is Sugar Bear. Sugar Bear, my baby daddy. We got too much estrogen in the house. Need some uh, testosterone. Sugar Bear! Sorry about that. I'll just leave it on. Uh, So that's Honey Boo Boo. And and it's kind of interesting because uh, as I've just kind of been paying attention to what's happening in our culture, it's like Honey Boo Boo has become the outcast family In our American family, everybody loves to make fun of Honey Boo Boo. They're making millions of dollars on this reality TV show, but it's like everybody thinks they're just fair game, and it's kind of like wolves surrounding an injured animal, you know, were just preying on these these people in the deep south, these Honey Boo Boo people. In fact, this is what Jimmy Kimmel had to say about Honey Boo Boo Child. There's a new episode of this big hit reality show, Here Comes Honey Boo Boo, it was on TLC tonight. Have you seen the show? This is, it's like, it makes Jersey Shore look like Downton Abbey. It's a... <laughs> TLC found the star of this one on their other big show, Toddlers and Tiaras. She's a seven-year-old uh, pageant contestant known as Honey Boo Boo Child. I lose, I lose three IQ points every time I say that combination. 
The show follows the daily life of the Honey Boo Boo child and her family. If you haven't seen it, imagine a dumber, lighter, obese version of the Kardashians with about <laughs> half as many teeth. And they're a special group of people. So this is happening everywhere. It's like everybody loves to pick on this this family. And on some level, I think it's kind of funny, you know, and, and they've kind of put themselves out there. But on a completely different level, I am aware that this is a family. These are people who are created in the image of God that Jesus loves, that Jesus died to reconcile to himself. And, uh, and, and there's something wrong with a culture that loves to choose insiders and outsiders. And one of the things that I know just from personal experience is all of us do it. We all know who's inside and we reject and isolate those who are outside. And this is exactly what the Apostle Paul was addressing when he wrote a letter to a Christian church in the city of Ephesus. And Paul, in his letter to the Ephesians, was talking about people who are outsiders and people who are insiders. Now, I'm hoping uh, Bill uh, Christ told you that you had a next step to read something from Isaiah this week, and that's great. I hope you do it. But one of my next steps for you this week is going to be to ask you to read the entire book of Ephesians this coming week. I hope you'll do it. And one of the things you'll find as you read through the book of Ephesians is that Paul uses kind of an interesting word over and over and over throughout the book of Ephesians, and that word is the word mystery mystery. And he is aware that since the beginning of time, God has had a plan for all of mankind, and it hasn't been revealed until Paul's lifetime. Jesus came, he was died, he rose again, he offered himself as a sacrifice so we could be reconciled to God, and God was revealing the mystery of the ages. And in the book of Ephesians, Paul tells us exactly what that mystery is. And in Ephesians 3, 6, he tells us the mystery. It's up there on the screen, and it says this. The mystery is that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Now, That's the mystery that Paul is revealing, and that might just sound like a little bit of mumbo-jumbo to you, so let me break it down for you. What Paul was saying is that in the church at Ephesus, but probably, truthfully, churches everywhere, there's groups of people who view themselves as being insiders, and there's other people that feel, and a lot of times rightfully so, they feel like outsiders, And this was never more true in any church than at Ephesus. Because in Ephesus, what had happened is there were a bunch of Jewish people that came to Jesus. They'd been reconciled to God. They were living, putting their faith in Jesus as the Messiah. And then all of a sudden what happened is a bunch of their Gentile neighbors also put their faith in Jesus. They started coming to church services. They were mixing it all up. But the Jews were like, what's with all the honey boo boo childs in my churches? Okay, and, and there were instantly insiders and outsiders because this was a big part of Jewish culture. Jews didn't mix with Gentiles. That's not the way it was. So there were insiders, there were outsiders. 
And Paul said in Ephesians 3, 6, I want to read it from a different version. Uh, The message version translates it this way. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I'm calling outsiders and insiders, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, the same help, the same promises in Christ Jesus, and the message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. Now, that's good news. That's good news. What Paul was saying is it doesn't matter if you've been an outsider all of your life. Because of Jesus, you are now an insider. And if you're taking notes this morning on your note cards, here's what you can write down. The gist of Ephesians, what all of Ephesians is about, is very simple. It's just saying you aren't an outsider anymore. You aren't an outsider anymore. And this week, if you, if you take the time, it probably would take you 15 or 20 minutes to read all six chapters of the book of Ephesians. If you'll take the time to read it, you'll see that over and over and over, in some manner, Paul is saying, let's get it together. Let's not have insiders and outsiders, but let's be unified, one body of believers worshiping and living for Jesus Christ. And that's good advice for anybody. Don't you think so? So here at Connect Church, you might be an insider. I want you to know if there's people that you don't like to mix with, you kind of see them as the honey boo-boo child of Connect Church. I want you to know it's time for us to pull those outsiders in. Ida's is tapping his buddy on the shoulder here. So are you an outsider or an insider, Ida? You're an insider, absolutely. There's no more outsiders in the family of God. We're all insiders. So that's what we're going to be talking about for the next five weeks. I'm really excited. Uh, We're starting something new here at Connect Church, and uh, I've had a dream for many years of being able to collaborate uh, on my teaching time on the weekend services, and I've, I've tried some different things with different people, and nothing's ever quite taken off. But uh, several months ago, I asked Pastor Dave Buller if he would begin collaborating with me on crafting the weekend services, and he said yes. And uh, the timing is perfect because Chris and I are going to be leaving this Wednesday to go on a vacation for a couple of weeks. And so uh, Pastor Dave and I have been working together for the last three or four weeks planning this message series on the book of Ephesians, and I'm really excited about that. We're literally going to be teaching as a team for the next five weeks, and if this goes well, we're going to be doing this on into the future. And so while I'm gone, Pastor Dave is going to be teaching. I'm going to be preparing some video stuff so that I can collaborate and be a part of the whole thing. Uh, but I'm, I'm really excited about where we're going. And in particular, I'm grateful for Pastor Dave and the insight he, he's given me. And I hope that you will feel that things are just better because we're better together, right? Two heads are better than one. There's something on Sesame Street about that. I don't know. So... So that's what's happening for the next five weeks. We're going to be talking about you're not an outsider anymore. And this week in particular, I want to talk to you about the subject of being adopted. Being adopted by God. Now I'm just curious. I imagine that in a group this big, there's several people, I I would imagine, who have been adopted into somebody else's family. You were not raised by your biological parents. Anybody here, 
you were adopted. Okay, keep your hands up high. Scott, you were adopted. Just two? Oh, right here. You've been adopted. You were adopted. All right. Four or five. Thank you. I knew we had some, and I couldn't bring them out. Uh, those of you that were adopted, just shout at me. What, what was it like to be adopted? You were accepted and you were chosen. Awesome. You just fit right in. Awesome. Awesome. How about you? Okay. Was it, did you ever have any hard times dealing with that or was it all pretty much good most of the time? Okay. Grown progressively better. Okay. How about you? Uh, my mom, my mom, she adopted me. Okay, so your dad adopted you because you were a biological child of your mother. Okay, so did you ever struggle a little bit in your relationship with your dad somewhat? I didn't know until I was 20. Oh, you didn't know until you were 20. So, wow, lower the boom, bam. Okay. <laughs> Ernie, how about you? Uh, it was mixed. It was mixed. Okay, it was mixed. Uh, did you ever feel like an outsider in your family? Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. Now, I know everybody's different and every family is different, but I think that uh, the problem with being adopted into a family is that at times, certainly not all the time, and those of you that had really healthy families, I'm thankful for that, but at times, if you're adopted, you probably feel like an outsider. Would you say that's true, Ernie? There were times when you felt like an outsider, and, and if you're if your family was good at explaining to you and making you feel loved and accepted, maybe those emotions didn't come very often. But still, there's a sense when you're adopted that you feel like an outsider. And this was the problem in the city of Ephesus, this, this church that Paul wrote the letter of Ephesians to. And the reason that some people felt like outsiders in this church was, as I mentioned earlier, that there were two groups of people. There were Jews who had been raised to always know God, and there were Gentiles who later in life came into the church, they received Jesus, but they were culturally so different. And Jews in particular were really good at making Gentiles feel like outsiders. Now, this is even true to some extent in today's culture. Now, we live in a part of the country where there isn't a real strong Jewish community. We don't have a lot of Jewish people in, in Bozeman, a few. But in communities like New York City and big cities where there's a strong Jewish population, there is still this very strong Jewish identity that views everybody else as outsiders. Now, today, there's a term for Gentiles. People don't use that word very often. But the Yiddish term is Goya, all right? Goya. And I, I became aware last year sometime that there was a little daily calendar that somebody had created of, of ideas that were Goyish versus Jewish. And here's the cover, cover of this little daily calendar, uh, Goyish versus Jewish. And, and the idea of this calendar was that there are things in our culture that just feel Jewish, and there are things that feel goyish, okay? And so if you go through this calendar, you, you'll, you'll find things like this, okay? Leather is Jewish, and patent leather is goyish, okay? Now, 
you know, I'm Goyish, so I'm not really sure how that works. Uh, they say that tending lawns is Jewish and yard work is Goyish. Okay, you get that? Toyota Avalons are Jewish, Corollas are Goyish. And they say, don't even get them started on the Prius. Okay, that is so Goyish. That's just. Libraries are Jewish, librarians are Goyish. Uh, this one I thought was kind of funny. The Clintons are Jewishy, but the Bushes are strictly Goyish. Uh, I like this one. Collecting hotel mini shampoos is very Jewish. Letting the family use them, now that's Goyish. Those of you that are old enough to remember this one, you might get this one. Jack LaLanne is pure Goyish. Richard Simmons is Jewish. I told you no is Goyish. I told you so is Jewish. Uh, waiting in line to get seated is Goyish, while waving in line to get seated is Jewish. And uh, uh, there's, there's just a bunch of them. Tennis elbow is Goyish. Tennis bracelets are Jewish. A hunter is Goyish. A furrier is Jewish. And then I love this one. Using the word delicious to describe your turkey is Goyish, but using the word delicious to describe your toddler is Jewish. Okay, so if you know any Jews, maybe that makes sense to you. But the, the point of it is, these are ways of identifying who's in and who's out, right? And in the first century AD, Jews considered themselves insiders, and they considered Gentiles to be outsiders. And so when Paul was writing to these Christians and urging them to be united and to, to put away these dividing lines of what's in and what's out, he said this. In fact, if you want to turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 2, you can follow along with me. Uh, this isn't all going to be up on the screen. Ephesians chapter 2, starting at verse 11, Paul says this. Don't forget that you Gentiles used to be, past tense, you Gentiles used to be outsiders. You were called uncircumcised heathens by the Jews who were proud of their circumcision even though it affected only their bodies and not their hearts. Evidently, circumcision was Jewish and uncircumcision was Goyish. And in those days, you were living apart from Christ. Now, he's, he's talking to the Gentiles here. In those days, you were living apart from Christ. You were excluded from citizenship among the people of Israel, and you did not know the covenant promises God had made to them. You lived in this world without God and without hope. But now, and look at this, but now you have been united with Christ. Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Would you just read that out loud with me? Once you were far away from God, but now you have been brought near to him through the blood of Christ. Here's how it's translated in the message translation. Now, because of Christ, dying that death, shedding that blood, you who were once out of it altogether are in on everything. What I want you to know today is that you are not an outsider with God. You are not an outsider with God. Now, I don't know about you, but there are times in my life 
I'd say it probably happens weekly or at least monthly when I just don't feel good enough to be in God's family. Do you ever struggle with that feeling a little bit? And, and maybe you do something or you say something unkind or, you, or whatever it is or insecurity just gets the best of you or whatever it is, but sometimes I just feel like God can't possibly really love me. Maybe, maybe I think that God loves somebody else more because they're more talented or they're more gifted or they have more money or they have more status or whatever it is. They're more successful. God must really love them and I'm just kind of a second-class citizen. Let me tell you what. What the Bible tells us is that is not true. If you have been brought near to God through the blood of Jesus Christ, you are absolutely adopted into his family 100% and you're not a second-class citizen. You are not an outsider with God. And the next line, if you're taking notes, is this. In fact, God has adopted you into his family. In Ephesians chapter 1, this is what Paul said. Even before he made the world, God loved us and chose us in Christ. Now, does that blow your mind like it blows my mind? Do you know that before God said, let there be light and there was light, Genesis chapter one, before all of that stuff happened, he saw you, he saw me, he visualized who you are and he chose you. He loved you. Even before he created you, he loved you. That's what this is saying. Verse five says, God decided in advance to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus Christ. It's very, very powerful. You aren't an outsider with God. Pastor David's going to come and share with us. There's a number of benefits to being adopted into the family of God. And if you're taking notes this morning, there's three that we find in Ephesians chapter 1. Pastor David's going to share those with us. The benefits that we see in the scripture don't deal with earthly benefits as in with an adopted family um you know there are benefits to being adopted as an individual into somebody else's family um i grew up in a family that had adopted siblings and um nine to be exact but um there's definitely benefits but there's definitely downfalls why because we are imperfect people right we live in a world like that But we're going to be talking about being adopted by God and what those benefits are. And the difference is that God is perfect. He is very, very perfect. He's holy. He's the one who made all that is. Have any of you ever heard of the orphan train? Back in the turn of the century, um, they estimated there were about 30,000 orphans in New York City. That's a lot. And they began this process of loading them up in a train and hauling them west to adopt them out into farm families and whatnot. And it was honestly, in many ways, a lot like the slave trade. I mean, families that would come to look at an adoptive child, they would, you know, feel their muscles and check their teeth and all of this to see if they could work. And there were always people that got left out. Do you, do you, do you ever remember being, as a, as a kid in, in school, PE, sports, when they chose teams? I, I was usually one that got left out. Okay, I, was, I mean, I got chosen because you had to choose everybody, but I was one of the last ones. So I know what that feels like, but with God, it's not like that. Adoption is when someone recognizes 
a helpless child, an abandoned child, sick or neglected or abused, or just somebody that needs a home, and they say, I want you to be my own. As Russ already talked about in chapter 5, the, the fact that God did this is all based on his love for us. He loves us dearly. And the fact that he was willing to die for us, that deep of love is the basis for these benefits. And by the way, if you are here and you have not yet been adopted into God's family, he's not going to force you to be adopted by him. He made all the arrangements, and he makes the offer. He says, I would love to adopt you. Are you willing? The first benefit you'll see in chapter, excuse me, verse 7 of chapter 1 is redemption. Now, a little simpler word for that would maybe be freedom. Verse 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that he purchased our freedom with the blood of his Son, and forgave our sins. So this benefit is really freedom. Freedom from what, you ask? Freedom from the judgment of God. Not judgment from other people necessarily. I mean, we're probably going to be dealing with that most of our lives. But freedom from judgment of God. And that's huge. That's, that's much more serious than the judgment of other people because the judgment of God deals with our eternal home. It really does. You see, for God to adopt us, and like I said, he's perfect, right? For him to adopt us, to bring us close to himself, he has to deal with the sin that we have because he is perfect and he cannot allow any sin into his presence. So what did he do about that? That's where Jesus comes in. God sent him to live here and be one of us. Remember the whole Christmas story? God in flesh? Jesus became one of us. And then he died on the cross to receive the punishment for our sins. He was punished on our behalf. So the way to become adopted by God as his child is to believe that Jesus received the punishment for all the things that you've done wrong. Everything you've done wrong. He received it and say, Jesus, please forgive me. It's as simple as that. He's already made all the arrangements. So if Jesus forgives you, then another really way to look at it, he covers your sin. Then when God looks at you, when he sees you, he doesn't see your sin that he can't allow into his presence. He sees Jesus. And he sees what Jesus did on your behalf. And he says, okay, I can receive you to me now. Do you realize how huge that is? That is huge. To be free from the judgment of God. Hey, if I can be free from the judgment of God, the rest of you can judge me all day long. I don't care. <laughs> Romans 8, chapter 1 says, So now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. No condemnation, no judgment. Verse 2 says, And because we belong to him, the power of the life-giving spirit has freed you from the power of sin that leads to death. We're going to get back to that verse here in a little bit. We all know the verse John chapter, six, John chapter 3, verse 16, right? Most of us do. You might not. 
But it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but receive what? Everlasting life. We usually stop there. What does verse 17 and 18 say? Say, God sent his Son into the world not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. There is no judgment against anyone who believes in him. Isn't that awesome? So we receive redemption. That's one of the benefits of being adopted by him. We receive the freedom from his judgment. Another benefit we receive is inheritance. Everybody wants a big inheritance, right? Yeah. Verse 11 talks about that. It says, Furthermore, because we are united with Christ, we have received an inheritance from God. For he chose us in advance, and he makes everything work out according to his plan. Okay, how many of you are planners in here? You've got it all, you know, your life planned out for the next umpteen years, right? How many of you aren't sure what's going to happen for lunch today? Yeah, okay. There's something to be said for a good plan, even though not all of us are planners. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you future and a hope. Okay, now when Jesus is talking, or God's talking about this plan, he's not talking about lunch. He's not talking about the next month or two. He's talking about forever. This is a long-term plan. On earth, you may receive an inheritance of money at some point, but in case you were wondering, you can't take that with you. Last I checked, the death rate among humans is still hovering right around 100%. Yeah. Does the thought of God having good plans for your future beyond the pain of this world, does that sound good to anybody? Oh, yeah. He's got good plans for your future beyond all this. We still struggle through this world. We're still going to face tough times. But he's got plans for you beyond this. You have an inheritance with God as his child. You have an inheritance. How do we know we have an inheritance? How do we know that that's really true? Well, look at the next one, verses 13 and 14. We are sealed with the Holy Spirit. That's really our down payment, in a sense, of the inheritance that he says. Verse 14 says that his, his giving us the Holy Spirit is to guarantee that he will give us the inheritance he promised. If you're not sure what I'm talking about when I say the giving of the Holy Spirit, go to Acts chapter 2. You're going to get all kinds of second next steps this, this morning. But go to Acts chapter 2. And read the story of the, when the Holy Spirit came upon the people that were praying together in a room. There were about 120 people, and the Holy Spirit came, and some really amazing things happened. And that wasn't a one-time thing. It continued happening through the book of Acts. And we see it happening today. In fact, I understand. I didn't make it, but Tuesday night at prayer, I guess a couple of people received the infilling of the Holy Spirit, we call it. And that's an amazing thing. It's, it's a sign that we are really His people. We belong to him. And it is also his power in our lives to live as his children the way he wants us to. 
How many of you know we need help with that? Yeah. Yeah, I need help with that, big time. Before Christ came, being a part of God's family was a, a privilege of only the, the Jews, as you talked about. The Gentiles were left out. They weren't a part of that at all. But Christ came and made the arrangements for us to be adopted into the family as well. He, he set it all up for us. There's an interesting note. In, in Jesus' day, legally, if somebody um, adopted a child, they could legally disown one of their own children on, under certain circumstances. But an adopted child, they could legally never disown. Isn't that amazing? And that should make it very clear for us that in God's eyes... Adoption is not second class. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. It's very real, very, very serious. It makes you 100% a part of the family. Yeah, yeah. Amen? Amen. You are not an outsider with God. None of you. You are not an outsider with God. You are his kid. Any, uh, I don't know too many of you college students yet. Jake, I know... I know you, you live in Helena, right? Or Jake, but you're, you're here in Bozeman. If you go home to Helena, do you have to ring the doorbell to get into your house? No. You can just walk in, can't you? You can go raid the refrigerator, right? And if your dad catches you raging the refrigerator, he's not going to say, what are you doing? He's probably going to say, hey, good to see you home, son. Why? Because you belong there. Right? Yeah, yeah. You belong there. If you came into my house, it'd be a different story. Now, I, I recognize you, so I probably wouldn't pull a gun, but I'd be like, what are you doing? This is a little weird, okay? You belong there. And you need to know that as followers of Jesus, you belong in God's family. You are wanted in God's family. When he saw you, he said, I want you. Mm -hmm. I choose you. Come, be my kid. Mm -hmm. There's going to be some next steps that Russ has for you. Um, but just know you belong and you're wanted. Mm -hmm. That ought to carry you a long ways. I just feel like we should just take a moment and pray. Okay, would you bow your heads? I, I know, because I live there, that sometimes you feel like an outsider. Uh, and today, if you feel like you're an outsider to God, I would just love nothing more than to pray for you to experience the reality of adoption. If you're here today and you've never yet said yes to the offer of Jesus Christ to be adopted into God's family, I would love to pray for you to be adopted for the first time. But maybe you're here today and you just don't feel God's love. You're just struggling with believing that you can come in and eat from God's refrigerator. I want to pray for you too, that he will help you sense the reality and the significance of adoption. So while nobody is looking around, uh, I'm not going to call you out or embarrass you this morning, but if you 
uh, either need to be adopted into God's family today or if you just need the assurance of knowing that you're God's kid, would you raise your hand real high right where you are? Some hands are already going up. All right, thank you. A bunch of us. Keep your hands up, all right? And again, I'm not going to call you out. I just want your hands raised while we pray. And, and I want you to just symbolically, by raising your hand, just reach out to the Lord this morning. All right, will you do that? And uh, let, me, let me pray for you first. Just keep your hands raised. Lord Jesus, thank you that you have made a way for us to come into God's family. Father, there are times when even though we know We are your children. We know that we've been adopted. We just feel these emotions and these feelings of unworthiness, of not being good enough, and we just wonder how in the world you could ever love us. Lord, I pray that right now that the truth of what we have shared today will go deep into our spirits, deep into our knowers, Lord, so that those those feelings of doubt and those feelings of insecurity will no longer cripple us from living as children of God. Thank you, Lord, for adopting us into your family, and Lord, help us to live every day in the reality of who we are. And now could you repeat this prayer after me? And those of you that are, are, are inviting, those of you that are saying yes to God's offer of adoption, would you pray this from the depths of your heart as we all pray this out loud together? Lord Jesus Christ, thank you for your offer of adoption. Thank you, Jesus, for paying the penalty of my sin and offering to reconcile me to the Father. I know that I've sinned. I know that I've come short of the glory of God. But today I'm asking you, Jesus, to wash me clean by your blood. Change me from the inside out. And let me eat from your refrigerator. Thank you, Father. good, isn't it? Let me give you four quick next steps, and then we're going we're gonna to celebrate communion this morning together. First next step is this. I just want to encourage you this week to read all of the book of Ephesians. It'll take you 15, 20 minutes. And, uh, and in particular, if you're reading through it, pay attention to that word mystery. You could even mark it in your Bible if, you're, if you don't mind marking things up, or take notes or something. Just pay attention to that. Second thing I want to throw out to you, uh, we have a blog every week that is so well written. It just helps you to go a little bit deeper in the teaching, and you can find that on our website. I hope you'll read the blog. And then thirdly, and I think this one is so important, I want to encourage you, every single one of you that are here today, will you take some time this week to share God's love with someone who is an outsider? There's lots of people that don't know that God is offering to adopt them into the family. You probably have family members. You probably have co-workers. Somebody that you know hasn't yet become an insider in God's family. Would you share God's love with them in some tangible way? It could be as simple as inviting them to church. Uh, We've got stacks back there of little invitation cards. I want to encourage you to pick those up. I keep them in my wallet. And when I meet somebody that doesn't have a church home, it's just simple to invite them to church and they can experience the love of Jesus in a safe place. 
Um, or there's a million other ways, but share the love of the Father with someone who's an insider. And then lastly, share God's love with somebody who's an insider. Take a look around this room. We've got a couple hundred people here today, and I doubt that you know everybody. And so just in practical ways, you've got your little circle of friends, maybe your small group sits together, whatever it is, but there's people that in your life are still outsiders because you don't know them. Would you maybe find somebody that you don't know and find a way to share the love of Christ and bring them inside your circle? You know why? Because you're not an outsider anymore. None of us are outsiders anymore in the family of God. So let's share the love, all right?